My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just entertain, but educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What can I say? I called it. When everyone was freaking out that the president would let those new steel tariffs fall on our closest trading partners, Mexico and Canada, I came out of here last night and I told you they're going to give them an exception. And therefore, the market would surge in response. And sure enough, after a brutal morning, Dow at one point losing nearly 350 points. The averages came back with a vengeance from their lows. Dow closing just uh, down 83 points. But more importantly, S&P dipping just 0.05%. And the Nasdaq actually gaining 0.33%. This news allowed us to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. But it wasn't really a surprise, at least if you watch the show. So which of these two sessions was real? This one, the earlier obliteration, or this one, the fabulous NASDAQ rebound? All right, you know what? They both got legitimacy. That's why tonight I want to consider what caused us to go down in the first place in order to steal you from that happening again. It'd be easy to focus on what's going right, but you know what? You never need to do that. That happens. Wow, hey, listen, it went right. We got to focus on what went wrong. So long as you don't panic about things that aren't panic-worthy. The mantra, or mantra, depending upon where you're from, of the show. When we escape the clutches of a brutal sell-off, we got to imagine what could go wrong, just as we focus on what can go right when stocks get clobbered. So what is fueling the bearish arguments here? All right, first, as we all know by now, Gary Cohn, the president's chief economic advisor, is stepping down. That alone was enough to send the market into a tizzy. Investors feel safe when the former number two at Goldman Sachs is helping to make policy. I agree. More important, though, it's presumed that Cohn, a very mainstream centrist kind of guy, will be replaced by someone far more radical. Let me play with an open hand here. I believe we need to get tougher with our trading partners because some of them, like the Chinese, are targeting entire industries here in the U.S. It's the Chinese government that's doing it, and they're doing it in order to have make-work jobs. They decimated the aluminum industry in our country, and they're doing a real number on steel. So the president decided to draw a line in the sand with these across-the-board tariffs. Now, this terrifies tons of professionals on Wall Street, but not me. In part, that's because I think we need something like this. And also because, as I predicted last night, the president would make an exception for our closest allies, Mexico and Canada, at least in North America. And that news ignited the market. Now, you heard it here First, folks, or actually second, because I said it last night. This guy is not falling. Stop panicking like they did at the open. Look, we used to dominate the aluminum industry in this country 18 years ago. Now China makes 55% of the world's aluminum. We make almost none. They wiped us out. And a big part of that shift is because the Chinese government subsidizes aluminum production heavily, just like it subsidizes steel heavily. Hey, I got news for you. Listen up, economists. That's not free trade. I understand that this issue is all about, well, uh, trade-offs. The administration wants to stimulate our steel industry. It doesn't want to stimulate a potentially ruinous trade war. Cohn clearly didn't believe it was worth the risk of that. The new team, however, disagrees. Now, neither side has a monopoly on being right. In this case, though, I think the protectionists have a point. 
China is artificially depressing the price of steel to create jobs, and that costs our jobs here in the U.S. Trying to deter this kind of bad behavior is worth the cost of maybe doing less business in the People's Republic for the moment. I say for the moment, because China doesn't want a real trade war any more than we do. They want access to our fabulous market, and I bet they play ball to make sure these markets stay open. So while it made sense that we sold off on Cohn's exit, more on that later, it also made sense when we bounced in the afternoon, when we realized the world wasn't coming to an end. Second, number two, of the bearish views. Some people worry that the president won't stop at steel and aluminum. Last year, when Trump excoriated the automakers who built cars in Mexico and sold in the U.S., Ford capitulated, decided not to build a huge plant there. Hey, but guess what? Mercedes and BMW quietly decided to build gigantic plants in Mexico, defying the president. And now they're catching some heat. Now, you go after autos, especially the two big German automakers, and that's exactly the kind of thing that would indeed cause or spark a trade war. But I say take a deep breath, people. The president said he'd go after BMW and Mercedes if the EU retaliates hard against our steel and aluminum tires. As long as Europe shows a little restraint, and they need our markets badly, too. This will not be a problem. Third, there's a tremendous fear that Friday's non-farm payroll report will be similar to last month's report, and that triggered a huge sell-off. When the market fell this morning, many people hesitated to buy because they didn't want to get into stocks ahead of this job number on Friday, which leads to a fourth source of fear. We're getting a sense from the retailers that the cost of doing business in this country is rising, and that's thanks to tighter labor markets. It costs more to hire people, and that's one of the reasons Dollar Tree got slammed so hard today. As Americans and uh, uh, and people who work for a living, we want higher wages. But as investors, the last thing you want to see is wage inflation. That said, holy cow, the decline in Dollar Tree off an astounding 15% in one session was totally nuts. This wasn't even that bad of a quarter, and it dragged out every other retailer, including Target and TJX. Now, I don't like to see retail go down because of what it says about the health of the American consumer. Raw stores gave you a great quarter, but weaker guidance. It got blasted out of the water. Not a good sign either. Fifth, the wrong stocks are going up. The universe of winners has gotten incredibly small. You can count them on two hands, basically. It's Workday, Amazon, Salesforce, Red Hat, Square, Splunk, Adobe, a couple of semiconductor-related companies like Glam Research, Autodesk. You know what? Uh, we get a really narrow market. We end up with too many losers and not enough leaders. So people ultimately flee from the entire asset class. So when you see a small group of winners continually pushing higher, it makes people fret. I actually felt Good that Netflix up 100 straight points. It last went down when it caught a downgrade. Enough already. Hey, listen, the S&P is now 26% tech. Do you know that's the highest it's ever been? I'm calling that a bit of a red flag. Finally, history says we're supposed to have a retest of the lows before we can really take off. If that's the case, then it's possible this market could have more downside. I think the retest argument holds less water than usual because so many companies are doing so well. I could make a case that we've simply been experiencing a garden variety sell-off, which means we don't need to fear another 800 to 900 Dow points of downside, which is what a retest theory really looks like. And believe me, we wouldn't have been able to bounce today on the carve-out. But again, if we do get an employment number that is too hot, 
suggesting the Federal Reserve needs to tighten a lot more aggressively, then the whole thing could become self-fulfilling. If that happens, we'll lose the housing stocks and the auto stocks. As it is, we've already lost far too many groups, even the drug stocks here. Red-hot tech stocks are not enough to make up for the damage. And that's why, even though we got a nice relief rally today, you can't just decide, hey, nothing to worry about. Bottom line. Today, we got saved by what I predicted would save us, a tariff carve-out for Mexico and Canada. But we need to remain mindful that we're operating in a treacherous new landscape since the end of January. And today's sellers may not be finished or sated when they're crushing stocks, even if it feels for the moment that maybe we're okay again. Why don't I go to Eric in New York? Eric! Hello, long-time viewer, Jim, and thanks for taking my call. Thanks very much. Oh, um, thanks for calling. What's up? I'm wondering if I might be calling about one of your favorite home state New Jersey companies. I'm not going to name it immediately, but 2018-2019 earnings projections are strong. It's spinning off two divisions. It's, I'm going to ask if it's going to remain a leader in aerospace and home automation control systems. Analysts are targeting over 170. I'd like you to tell us all about Honeywell and uh, where 170 seems not only good, but ah. I'd say even too cherry. This thing could go to 185. It's run by Darius Adamczyk now. He's doing a dynamite job. He's making a lot of a lot of big decisions to kind of break up some of Dave Cody's company, and I like every single one of them so far. I think you have a winner in H O N. Gary in Utah. Gary. Hi, Jim. I'm looking to add an oil and gas company to my portfolio. And after doing the homework, I've narrowed it down to Royal Dutch Shell with its juicy dividend and and Valero with its high earnings per share growth potential. What are your thoughts? Uh, If it's between those two, I would take Royal Dutch. They were on today. But I've got to tell you, I'm no fan of fossil fuel. I think a new age of portfolio managers is coming in, and they don't like what they see. Mo in my daughter's home state of Oregon. Mo. Whoa. Got a ball deep snow pile and booyah, Jim. Perfect. What's going on? Not much. Hey, Match Group, I found it a couple days ago. I like the chart, uh, 18%, I would say, monthly on the revenue year over year, and I'm look- quarterly revenue, and I'm looking at 26% profit growth. I want to set something up for long term. Online dating is going nowhere. What are your thoughts? Let it cool off. What's happening? Which one was it? I'm sorry. I didn't Match I- Group. Match Group? Holy cow, you are dead right. That is one special company. You know, we like this thing down at like 15 and 20. Look at this thing. What a horse. You have a winner in that one. That was Mike in New Jersey. I confused it. Now we're getting to Mo in Oregon. That's my bad. Mo. How's it going, Jim? Mo, I got you confused with Mike in Jersey, and that's never going to happen again, frankly. What's up? No worries. I'm actually calling in about JD.com. Uh, I've been holding it since last summer, and I wanted to see after the recent earnings miss what you thought on it. I am. Uh, I only recommend. Uh, I'm really only recommending Baidu, and more importantly, Alibaba. Although that Balzon reported good number. Remember we had them on. Wow, that thing's hot as a pistol. I would be recommending Tencent, but it doesn't trade here, so therefore I have to take a pass. Balzon, man, we got to get them back on the show. Down four today, but up huge yesterday. Okay. This decline made sense as part of a newer landscape that may be the norm soon. Although uh, you have to maybe wait to commit. But then again, we got to carve out for Mexico and Canada, like I said, and then boom, off the race of mad money tonight. 
Polaris was off-roaded a few years ago, but the company's been working its way higher recently. I'm going to sit down with the CEO and find out what's ahead in this snowy day. Then with Gary Cohn out at the White House and Trump's tariffs impacting the market, there are plenty of unknowns in this, in this tape. I know you've got questions. You know what we're going to do? When we have these kinds of wild days, we open the phone lines to hear from you. The voice of Kramerica. And Nordstrom's long and winding attempt to move to private ownership has taken some turns over the past few days. I'm breaking it all down, so stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. With this ridiculous early March blizzard hitting the Northeast right now, I think it's the perfect time to check in with Polaris, the nation's number one maker of snowmobiles, which also does a lot of business producing all-terrain vehicles and motorcycles. Here's a stock that can be a real wild trader. After spending a couple of years lost in the wilderness, Polaris caught fire in 2017, rallying more than 50% thanks to some fabulous sales and earnings growth. The stock put on another 10 bucks in January for peaking along with the rest of the market. Polaris had the misfortune reporting on January 30th, right as the whole asset class was rolling over. The company's actual quarterly results were solid, a small earnings beat on top of a larger revenue beat. But the guidance did scare some people. Management forecasted only 3 to 5% sales growth for 2018. Wall Street was looking for a little better. In response, the stock plunged from 134 to 116 on the news, didn't bottom out until it hit 102 about a month ago. Since then, though, it's been bouncing right back. Now trading at 119, it's still off its highs. Plus, you got to wonder if Polaris is the kind of domestic manufacturer that could get hurt if you get into a kind of full-blown trade war so many commentators are now fretting about, even as I think that's pretty unlikely. Can the stock keep rebounding? Let's take a closer look with Scott Wine. He's the chairman and CEO of Polaris Industries. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Wine, welcome back to Man Money. Yeah, Good to see you. Good to see you. i got to tell you, you are the man of the hour. we got tariffs against Harley-Davidson. Maybe they go after you one day. We've got a snowstorm. Holy cow, could help the quarter tremendously. And I know from the last quarter that you felt it might be stupid if they mess with NAFTA. But even that could be on, on the front burner. You, you have so much happening. What are you in control of and what can't you control? You know, we design our vehicles to deal with adversity. And we try to run our company ready to deal with adversity. And none of these are things that we can't overcome. We'll manage in the tariffs, for instance. It's about a $330 million total spend for aluminum and steel for us. A 1% increase, $3 million we can handle. It's all okay. the repercussions that would be difficult. But uh, we've built a team and we've built a company that can handle a lot of adversity. Now, you guys are great in motorcycles. Uh, they're targeting Harley in the EU. They're not targeting you, right? They're suggesting that they're going to target Ooh, Harley. Okay. You know, remember, all of this is yet to be seen right. exactly what happens. We certainly do not want a trade war. Our Indian business, as you mentioned earlier, is growing uh, tremendously, yeah. both here in North America, also in Europe. So we wouldn't want to see that. And, and the one thing we've seen from this administration is a very pro-growth, pro-jobs right. agenda. And I think that over time, they're going to get back to that sort of thing with trade as uh, well. Pro-growth, pro-jobs, and also pro-compensation. You've done some pretty amazing things for your workers. You know, I, I had to laugh a little bit with the, uh, the tax policy change, which we applaud from a corporate perspective. Um, you know, there were companies that talked about $1,000 for their employees right. on a one-time basis. We had a profit-sharing day. Uh, it's really a bonus program, but we, we gave out over $90 million of bonus checks 
and ESOP to our employees uh, last Friday. So they're involved. They're playing right alongside you, and they win if you win. They are owners in the company, and really they provide the best advice on how we run the company better. Now, uh, they can't run the weather, though. And you said, and I thought you were too hard on yourself, you had an unexpected and disappointing uh, quarter, but you really, it was because of the weather. The weather wasn't helpful, but we don't like to make excuses. Right. I mean, we, we play in industries that benefit when the weather is good, right. and sometimes it's more difficult. We like days like today here in the Northeast. We'll sell a few snowmobiles. Um, we just, I was in Orlando earlier with our, our snow team and all of our snow dealers and launched the most advanced two-stroke engine technology, a new uh, 850 Patriot engine, a bunch of new snowmobiles. And what we found is that innovation sells in this industry, and uh, we try to lead in that. We'll spend about $260 million dollars on research and development this year. To, to make what? I mean, how special versus the other guys? Well, I mean, it's a very competitive industry. As right. you know, we play against some well-heeled, uh, very strong players. But um, we understand what the customer wants, and we try to build that into our products. And I think that's why Indian has grown, right. you know, literally from, from nothing, and it'd be a half a billion dollar business here pretty soon for us. And we think we've got a long, long way to go. Your demographic for Indian is quite different from Harley's, is it? Uh, it's a little bit different. I mean, one of the things we did early on was invest in the scout business, and then we invested in flat track racing. And you go to a flat track race, and I'm one of the older guys there. So uh, that's helping us pull in a younger demographic. But our design team, um, our price points are pretty good. Uh, it's a really competitive market, and we, we like our chances. How are these adjacent markets, uh, oil and gas and ag? Um, oil and gas obviously come down off their highs. Yeah. You know, oil, when... When fracking was really going at its best right. in 2014, almost the perfect Polaris customer. You get these young men making a lot of money. Um, they bought a lot of machines. Right. They've become much more efficient uh, in how they frack, don't need as quite as much labor. So uh, those markets are stabilizing, and it's good for us. How come you're not grousing about that steel? I mean, so many of these producers were complaining. I, they did get some good tax breaks, corporate tax breaks, but they were complaining. What They were just saying, hey, come on, man, this is really hurting our business. Why aren't you saying that? Um, I mean, I believe that Earth ultimately trade should be fair, and a lot okay. of times our, our, our agreements aren't fair for everybody. So trying to get that in balance is probably helpful. Um, we like our chances to compete. Uh, we right. understand where we're good. We understand where we're not good, and we want a, a fair trade environment, and ultimately that's what we'll speak for. Okay, you are, uh, you're a Navy guy, okay? And what I'm hearing from you is what I hear from a lot of people who have been in the service, which is like, hey, listen, we have to deal with adversity and we're going to deal with the hand that we've been given. And we're not complainers. No, I mean, we, we will certainly lobby to get things that, that work right. in our favor. But, you know, we truly have a remarkable team at all levels of the company. We've got about 11,000 employees and, you know, they're owners of the company and, right. and really a, a really strong leadership team across the board. And 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 we don't like all of the adversity that right. comes our way, but we like the challenge. Last, last thing, the U.S. consumer is pretty strong. Uh, you know, obviously the tax, uh, yeah. tax uh, policy was, was very helpful for the consumer. We think some of the regulatory relief um, over the last year has been helpful for the consumer, and uh, we're, we're encouraged by what uh, the year could bring. Excellent. Well, look, I think that uh, you have triumphed over a lot of adversity, particularly the weather, and your stock is the cheapest it's been in a long time. Okay, that's Scott Wines, Chairman and CEO of Polaris, PII. Stick with Craig. Flash, the sky is not falling. We got quite a lot of snow falling outside, though. But when it comes to the market, we all need to take a deep breath 
And we've got to reevaluate the situation. Yes, there is a ton of uncertainty. We would have been down so big in the morning. And many people have a tendency to panic. I am telling you not so fast, all right? So you know what we're going to do? We're going to take calls from Kramerica tonight so we can work through this together as we always do. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your questions. And I want to know your concerns. Instead of panicking, you'll be able to use the market's latest action as you needed to today as an opportunity. So why don't we start with D in California. D. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, D. What's happening? Oh, I'm so happy to talk to you. Thank you. And listen, I talk about you all the time. Really? My boyfriend wants to know, who is this Jimmy guy? <laughs> hey, what can I say? Set him I up, know. Jimmy. Okay. Okay. So when your show comes on, everything stops in my house. Yes. TV, TV comes on, and I sit down with paper and pencil in hand. Well, you know, thank, first I got to just thank you. Just stop for a second. We're going to go on. But that's how I want people to do it. It's a learning show, and you're doing it right. So let's go to work, D. Thanks. So I thank you for your information and your advice. I have done well in the market Great. and made money. I was able to retire, and I have no pension. That is fantastic. How, it is fantastic. However, the friendly beast of January has turned into a beast beast, and I'm afraid the market will drop 40 or 50 percent. D, D, come on, we got to work on this. We know that there's no systemic risk this time. We do not have what we had in 2008, 2009. There could be some stocks that are overvalued. But, D, that kind of talk has to be backed up by some concern that makes me feel can happen. Is there something in particular that makes you feel that it could fall that much? Uh, I guess just insecurity because all of my future is in the stock market. I, I am diversified, but I get scared and think I should just sell off. No. Okay, so here's what you do. You split the difference. In those kinds of situations, take off of between 10 to 20%, put it in cash, and then you'll be ready. I am telling you that will work, D. Follow my instructions. Less in Virginia. Less. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course, um, of course. Just wondering, since uh, GE has got new leadership and it looks like they're actually starting to maybe turn things around a little bit, do you think that stock would be a buy at the present time and also taking into consideration the possibility of steel tariffs uh, being added? I need to see a couple of good quarters. I need to get certainty about long-term care. I got to feel better about pension. I got to see a write-off at Alsom. If I see all these things... That I might come around. Steve in California. Steve. Jim. Yes, Steve. Booyah from Redondo Beach. Oh, man, so beautiful. How come it's not that nice here right now? What's up? So um, we renamed our dogs Amazon Prime and Boeing. Yeah, you got a couple smart dogs there. Yeah, they're the best. Hey, you know that symbol that you have uh, over your, your, uh, your soundboard? I've never seen you use it. What is that for? And are you ever going to use that thing? I use I used to use it to um, actually to, uh, talk about the People's Republic of China. Uh, I have moved on. 
and, but I kept it there because I kind of like the view of it, and maybe I'll do the gong show when it comes to a really bad stock. So let's go to work. Okay, here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to give you a little perspective here. Okay. I'm 32 years old, so 32. this is retirement money. Okay. Retirement money. I'm not touching this money for probably 30 years. Changes everything. Um, I'm glad you told me, so let's work. Okay, so um, obviously when we pick stocks, we want to pick the stocks that we believe are going to beat the S&P 500. And booyah, I have done that with almost all of the stocks that you've helped me pick. There we go. Let's talk about Blackstone. I'm, you know, they tell you you can't. Steve, you know, they tell you you can't. They want to put you in the shackles of not being able to favor index funds, but never picking a stock because you're not allowed to because we're too stupid. I'm not buying that. Let's work together. That's that's right. Now, let's work together, given this this perspective of where I'm at. I own Blackstone. And that's the one stock that has not outperformed the S&P. Even with dividends, it's been a little bit you know, below the S&P. And I'm wondering, given my 30-year outlook, should I rotate my money from Blackstone into J.P. Morgan Chase? Wow. I'm going to have to say she's got a big yield in that Blackstone. I'm going to have to say yes. I happen to think I was doing a, a roundtable today with Jeff Marks at the street. People should listen to it. It's really good. We had some great people. And we both feel that J.P. Morgan, we even broke our discipline. You know, we broke our discipline and advised members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club that they had to pay up. We never like to exceed our basis. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Steve, J.P. Morgan's a winner. We need to go to Paul Nevada, please, Paul. Paul? Yes. You're Jim. up. It's Jim. Hey, Booyah from Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. There you go. I hadn't really thought of that, but that's probably true. So what's up? Well, um, well, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to your option profits team on Real Money Pro. I think they're doing a great job. I'm a member, member uh, have been. They're very good. Real Money Pro is terrific product. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. But uh, – my call about TLT, it's been a favorite of mine to hedge the downside of the market. And with these large market swings, I think that uh, we need some products like this. But TLT, with the increase in interest rates recently, hasn't been. Some are short, some are long. I just was wondering what your thoughts are. There's a couple ETFs that I don't regard as ETFs. I regard them as stocks that play bonds and stocks that play gold. And these are the kinds of things that I think make a ton of sense. You are hedging correctly. I used to think before they had these that what you had to do was just say you had to be short bonds uh, or be long bonds. And I think that this is a way for the average person to be in. You're making the right move. Let's go to Scott in the state where the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. Scott in Minnesota. Scott. Hey, Jim, thanks for everything you do. My question is, which utilities do you think are best positioned to capitalize on the growing trend in electric vehicles? Let's see. Growing would have been NRG at one point. I'm not that happy with NRG's management. Uh, electric vehicle, not anybody in particular, because I do not want the Californians. Uh, I know that neither Con Ed nor Dominion necessarily fits your your bill, but those are my faves, and I can't throw it toward electric vehicles because I like to teach to own best of breed, and the best of breed are Con Ed and Dominion. All right, wild day, but remember, the decline is rational. And we're going to get through it together like we always do. No panicking in Kramerica. 
Watch for Man Money Ed, including my take on Nordstrom. Could its shareholders be left holding the bag? I'm breaking down the company's move to go private, if it can happen or not. Then, my ode to Gary Cohn. I'll tell you what his exit really means for this market. And all your calls, rapid fire, the night's just the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You were on the back of a Harley Davidson? It was in the store. I was way, I was way too scared. <laughs> they didn't actually I was move. way too it wasn't scared. Moving. I, I simulated. Okay, good. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm scared to death to get on a tricycle. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. While everyone freaks out about trade policy and some seriously disturbing turnover in the White House, you may end up missing some big company-specific stories that would be getting a lot of attention if, in virtually any other market. Consider the case of Nordstrom. JWN, for you home gamers, the swanky department store chain I like so much with a story that's reaching so proper levels of melodrama. That's why tonight I want to catch you up on what's been happening here, because at the end of the day, the stock market is a market of individual stocks that represent pieces of individual companies. Sooner or later, the specifics of those companies are going to matter more than who's serving as President Trump's main economic advisor. Don't get me wrong. Gary Cohn's resignation is a real problem. I've said that, but it does, it does have a whole lot to do with the price earnings multiple of the department store chain. So what exactly do you have going on here with Nordstrom? On Thursday night, the company reported what was widely viewed as a somewhat disappointing quarter. Stock opened down big the next day, and you might have expected it to stay down big on Friday, given that we got hit with a huge market-wide sell-off. But that's not how things played out. Instead, the stock quickly reversed, only rallying more than 5 bucks, or nearly 11% from its lows. That's quizzical. You see, when a stock can bounce like that off supposedly bad news, you've got to start stand up and pay attention. So let me give you the reason for the resurgence. Okay, we've known for a long time now that the Nordstrom family wants to take their namesake company private. They tried to pull off a leverage buyout last year, but back then the retail environment was awful, and they simply couldn't arrange the financing, so the deal fell through. Well, now... Now that retail seems like it's making a major comeback with the consumer really spending again. The Nordstrom family, well, you, what can I tell you? They're trying to give it another shot. On Monday afternoon, we learned that the Nordstrom board had rejected and well, they received and rejected a what I call indicative proposal from the Nordstrom family to take the company private. But for just $50 a share, come on. That's a low-ball offer given that the stock was selling for just under 52 bucks when the news broke. But you know what? I am still regarding it as a game-changer, even as it's obviously too low. So how exactly should you play this situation? Spoiler alert! We own Nordstrom for my Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining me at ActionAlertsPlus.com Club. It is no secret that I like the stock and by the way, the company. The darn thing only gets more attractive as it gets lower. Hmm. Like you continue today as part of the broader market-wide wipeout. First, though, let me set the stage. I keep talking about this turnaround in retail. Despite the initial reaction to the quarter, Nordstrom is definitely experiencing a turn. When the company reported last Thursday night, the numbers were mixed. 
We could then expect earnings, but revenue came in higher than anticipated. I care about sales. And same for sales grew at 2.6. That's substantially better than 1% number Wall Street was looking for. There was just a lot of hype in the stock because people felt it was going to announce something. So what went wrong, though? Nordstrom's retail gross margins took a 40 basis point hit, in part because the company's facing higher occupancy expenses related to the expansion of its discount Nordstrom rack concept. High quality problem, as well as its growth in Canada. And they're big there. Basically growing pay. I call that a, I call that I just say, you know what? It's to be expected. They also got it by some year-end promotions, but management told us that margins should improve this year, especially since the Nordstrom Rack business has leaner inventories than it did at this time last year. Inventories control whether something's promotional. They'll be full price rather than lower. Still, compared to so many other chains, I have to admit it was an imperfect quarter. It was a bit of a letdown, certainly versus Macy's, even versus Gap. That said, management clearly believes they can get a handle on these issues. We know that because the Nordstrom family holds a bunch of senior positions here, and they're the ones trying to take the company private. And that explains the seesaw action last Friday. At first, the stock got crushed in response to the not-so-hot numbers. I mean, you know, compared to, say, Kohl's, which had spectacular numbers. Plus, it didn't help that the day before the New York Post ran a story headline, quote, Nordstrom financial issues are making it tough to go private, end quote. Granted, the post isn't exactly I would call the paper of record, especially not for business news, but that piece added to the negative backdrop. I think it made investors look at the quarter in a harsher light, not just the mixed results, but also the puzzling guidance. Imagine calling for weaker than expected revenue growth in 2018 combined with stronger than anticipated earnings. Well, that's kind of backward. Many people in Wall Street simply don't believe Nordstrom will be able to become so profitable so quickly. Some people are disappointed that they're not just a little more laser-focused. However, as Bob Lang, one of our technicians, pointed out for the for last night's off-the-chart segment, when Nordstrom got hit on Friday, the big institutional buyers stepped in, okay? And they bought this thing aggressively. Smart money. Beyond the fact that the family wants to take Nordstrom private, what do these money managers like so much about the story? In a nutshell, Nordstrom has spent years investing heavily in the business, growing its digital presence, launching a new store in New York, which is going to be a palace and a destination. And in Canada, it's really doubling down on the Nordstrom rack concept. Let me tell you something. The men's store in Manhattan, it opens in April, and they plan to open a dozen new racks this year, half of which will be in Canada. All that's going to matter. It's a lot when you consider that Nordstrom only has 366 locations. These are needle movers. And the online business has already caught fire. It's growing by double digits. The rack business is strong. Put it all together, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that these initiatives are going to start to pay off in a big way. In simple terms, Nordstrom has been spending a fortune to build out all these initiatives, and now they can afford to cut back on that spending, which will be a major boon for the company's margins, a big enough change to say that the whole business might be, and here's a real Wall Street word, inflecting, inflecting. For the last six odd years, Nordstrom's capital expenditures have mostly come in at 5 to 7% of total sales. That's a lot in retail. Remember, retail has razor thin margins. For the next five years, though, management sees capital expenditures coming in around 4% of sales, and that will give the earnings. A serious boost. Remember, the margins were the problem of the latest quarter, and that problem's about to be fixed. That's how Nordstrom can generate more profits this year, even if its sales come in a tad light. Do not take it from me. Consider what J.P. Morgan's Matthew Boss had to say. For those of you who don't know, Boss is the axe in retail these days, meaning the analyst with the best track record who understands the sector better than anyone else. His response to the quarter, he actually raised his price target on Nordstrom. They laid the foundation in recent years, and now their enormous investments can start paying off. And that's why 
That's why I continue to like this stock. I support it and tell club members to buy it. The potential for a leveraged buyout or even a flat-out takeover is just the cherry on top. Now, maybe the Norsen family only offered $50 a share because they're having trouble getting financing, as my Squawk on the Street colleague David Faber pointed out this very morning. Retailers that have gone private are struggling, and there may not be an appetite in the bond market for paying up at higher levels. But even if that's true, to me that says the stock now has a beautiful floor of $50. That's not a, not a lot of retailers have a floor them. And that's where the family can take it private. And if it goes too low, I think the board will accept the bid. So in other words, with Nordstrom currently trading at 51 and change, the news of their bid means you're getting some amazing risk reward. Plus, with this incredible growth company now trading at Well, you know, it was once more of a growth company than it is now, but Rack is a growth company. It's trading at 15 times earnings. It represents very good value versus the rest of the market. Many others, including, say, JCPenney or L Brands. Bottom line, the way Nordstrom bottomed on Friday after not-so-hot quarter, I'm calling it incredibly bullish. When a stock goes up on bad news, you know it's got something real going for it. And given that the Nordstrom family wants to buy the whole business at 50 bucks a share, I think it's pretty darn compelling for your portfolio right here at $51. Bad Money's back after the break. It is time! Time for the lightning round! Time the lightning round! Time for 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 the Competitive fella. Craig in Pennsylvania. Craig. Hey, Jim. Uh, CNX. I bought it on the dip in uh, February. That uh, thing is a horse. I don't know, man. I would take half off the table. I think it's way ahead of itself and let the other half run. How about Paul in New York? Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Listen, uh, I'm a happy Shopify user and own some of the stock. Was wondering if you can... Uh, Give me your general thoughts on them. Another I'm going to throw in Etsy. Both Shopify and Etsy are two companies of the new breed, and I think it's terrific. And I got to tell you, there were some short sellers in Shopify. They got overrun. What were they overrun by? The fundamentals. Fred in North Dakota. Fred. Hey, I love the show. Thanks, Thank you, Jim. Hey, I'm a couple years away from retirement. I'm looking at moving some of my retirement funds into higher dividend-paying okay. stocks. What are your thoughts on energy transfer? I think that's a red flag stock. That dividend is too high. It's a distribution. I don't like it. I don't care for the group. The master limited partnerships have had their day in the sun. Alyssa in New York. Alyssa. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I know utility stocks are pretty sensitive to the uh, interest rate changes, which we're probably going to be seeing this month. 
I heard you talk about this doc a few weeks ago, and I wanted to know how you are feeling about NGG National Grid now. Well, I'm not feeling that great because I keep paying him a fortune. That's my problem. May I suggest that if you're going to go for the gold and go for the growth, that you go for Dominion Energy, 4.5% yield. But may I add that utilities, like the Real Estate Investment Trust, are in a pile of uh, pain. Why? Because if it trades go to 3%, people are going to sell them again. May I take one more? Let's go to Lou in New York. Lou. Hey, Jim. Looking long-term, 10 years plus at healthcare REITs, is now a good time to start a position in Bentas? Ventas and Federal Realty are both two that I want to make exceptions for. I think Deb Kafar and I think Don Wood are doing a remarkable job. That said, Ventas had a good quarter and people still didn't like it. So I say be careful. Not yet. Not yet. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Did the market really deserve to get smacked around hard this morning? Off more than 300 points for the Dow at the lows before bouncing back just because of one guy? I mean, does the resignation of Gary Cohn, President Trump's top economic advisor, really matter that much? Does it mean that much? Yeah, you better believe it does. For months, I've been saying that the possibility of Cohn stepping down was one of my biggest fears for stocks. And it turns out I was right to be worried, even as we did end up bouncing in the afternoon. How the heck could one man possibly be this important to the market? Let me do a little ode to Gary Cohn, whom I'm proud to call a friend. More importantly, though, Cohn was your portfolio's best friend in the West Wing. I'll tell you why. First of all, in a White House that can seem kind of chaotic, to put it very diplomatically, diplomatically, Cohn, Cohn was like the rock of Gibraltar. Someone you could count on to do what he believed was the right thing for the country. You always knew what he stood for and where he was coming from. He was steady. I was always thrilled when I got to interview him because he laid out the straight case, but he wasn't on script. He listened and he answered questions thoughtfully rather than regurgitating talking points, and he wasn't afraid of anyone. That's incredibly rare in a public servant. Of course, that means Cohn was willing to run afoul of the president if necessary. For example, he was a vocal critic of how the president handled the horrible events in Charlottesville. Remember, many saw Trump's response as being somewhat soft on neo-Nazis, always ill-advised. Which brings us to right now. Cohen has strong beliefs about the value of free trade, and he doesn't want to seem to have them be compromised, which is exactly how, how he views these new tariffs. Now, I've seen a lot of people in the media criticizing him over this. They wonder incredulously why he was willing to stick with the president to Charlottesville, but tariffs are where he draws the line. I got to tell you, I think that is deeply unfair. For starters, Cohn is a Democrat. I'm sure this administration has done tons of things he disagrees with. But he wanted to be on the inside where he could influence things for the better, rather than on the outside taking cheap pot shots. More importantly, he's the economic advisor. If he's going to resign in protest or, or risk being fired, it should be over an economic issue. Now, maybe in the end, the whole thing was just too much for him. But let's get one thing clear. Gary Cohn is a dedicated public servant. Believe it or not, when you work at Goldman Sachs, that's one of the things they train you to do at some point in your career. I know firsthand. I may not agree with him on these tariffs, but I'll defend him to anyone who claims he did anything less than his best under very trying circumstances. And whether you love Trump or you hate him, I think it's fair to say that working in the White House is the definition of trying circumstances. Cohn carried water for the president's tax reform agenda in a 
spectacular, spectacular way. I sure didn't believe he could get the bill through Congress, but he did. And so far, it seems to be going great for the economy. Cohn made the tax cuts happen, yet he never sought even an ounce of credit. He always says it was the president's. He's a total team player. He got the job done. In short, Gary Cohn is the rare public figure who wasn't in for the fame or the glory or the money or the power. He took this position because he thought it was the right thing to do after a lifetime of working at Goldman. Sure, I wanted him to stick around to keep the tiller steady while the government finances its newly gigantic deficit. I wanted him around for his guidance and his common sense the next time we got hit with some unforeseen global economic crisis. Even if you think Cohn was misguided or mistaken on policy issues, everything he did as director of National Economic Council, he did for the right reasons. And at least from my perspective, he did a lot of good in a short period of time. So I hope you'll join me in thanking him for his service and wishing him well in whatever he chooses to do next. Stick with Craig. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Good to see Autodesk back. What a quarter. But Facebook led the market. Facebook. That's been a while, huh? It's been a real dog. Maybe it's getting its mojo back. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll just for you right here Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.